joining Hunkering Down with Peter Schorsch is Kelly Cohen, the managing partner of the Orlando office of the Southern Group. Um, I don't remember exactly where, but I, I know it's in low single digits. She ranks as one of the most powerful people in Orlando. Um, I think it's like the UCF president, the chief of police, but she's like ahead of like the like starting team of the Orlando Magic or something like that. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. <clears throat> I'm actually, uh, I should, I'm over my shoulder. I'm looking at uh, the new Florida trend copy with uh, Orlando's buddy, um, yeah. your good friend, Mayor Buddy Dyer. That's a big. It's, it's, it's super cool to have him on there for him to be going as strong as he is after 17 years is a, a tremendous accomplishment. And he's still having a lot of fun. How is Orlando doing? I mean, I think it's like one of the cities that people are other than their own. They're keeping an eye on because, heck, they just want to get back down there and hit either Disney or Universal or you know, one of the conventions or something like that. So how, what's it, what's it like on the ground in Orlando right now? You know, as I've been reflecting on this whole experience, I think, um, sadly, we are uniquely qualified to handle a pandemic. We had, um, we've had some dry runs with some really intense situations. We had all the hurricanes hit central Florida and then we had pulse. And Pulse was devastating to our community and how we responded to that taught us so much and taught us about communication. And we're fortunate with the consistency of leadership that Mayor Dyer was there during that time. Mayor Demings, Sheriff Demings, now Mayor Demings was there. Uh, Mina, Chief Mina, who was the police chief is now the sheriff. So we've all worked together for a long time in solving some of the most harrowing experiences. So. As it goes from um, a continuity of leadership, we're, we're in a good place. I think um, our electorate and our people feel confident about what our local leaders are doing, and we um, understand how to process this. Is it, um, one of the big dynamics with this whole thing has been city, state, you know, that the city's closed earlier than the state, and, you know, that is, some people say that's the reason why the curve is flattened. Um, <clears throat> what is it like with the interlocal between the county? Like, run us through that. Like, because like Orlando, Jerry Demings is the mayor of Orla of Orange County, and then Buddy Dyer is the mayor of Orlando. But they seem to be working kind of in concert here. Yeah. So I mean, it is confusing to to have to have um, two mayors. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it is. And, you know, they did a ballot amendment to change it. It used to be the chairman of Orange County, and then it was changed many years ago. In this particular instance, um, obviously, Mayor Dyer has a heightened profile and as a community leader, but it is really the county's responsibility. The Department of Health is there, the state of emergencies. So Mayor Demings has been taking the lead. But what I can tell you that makes, I think, our region unique, and Peter, I think you see it a lot, we're not hyper-partisan here. We tend to collaborate a little bit more here. We are working very closely with Seminole County and Osceola County, and you're right. I mean, Mayor Dyer and Mayor Demings are super good friends. Obviously, Mayor Demings' wife, um, Congresswoman Demings, was Mayor Dyer's police chief. So again, the history really helps us. I would also say we all have a common friend, and we're fortunate to have such 
um, global tourism leaders here, which help us drive things. When you have um, Walt Disney in your community and they've experienced COVID in other markets and they're involved and engaged, they can really help you shape policies. Mm, that's a good point. I, um, I, I kind of like the Jose Oliva line, and I haven't said that a lot lately, but it's, um, you know, he's basically said, hey, Disney is going to be able to take care of itself. Um, you know, that they've got a lot of smart people They've got thousands of smart people um, thinking through some of these problems, thinking through, you know, do we beta test the park for two weeks and then go off? Uh, but it's kind of the small businesses that are going to need government's guidance. Like, because I got to tell you, like, all I'm getting right now are emails and phone calls from people. Hey, this is Steve in New Samirna Beach. Am I allowed to open my taco stand? And I'm like, why are, a, why are you asking me? But they're just looking for guidance. I mean, there's a lot of that right now where people, they don't know. One of the things, and this is to jump off on a tangent, but like one of the things that has become very clear to me out of this is the information divide. Like you and I just assume everybody else is reading the Washington Post and The Economist, and they've seen the latest Nate Silver, Vox, IMHE models, and and that's not true at all. What's happened is they, at a very busy day of homeschooling and maybe keeping their job, are catching five minutes worth of news on TV, which is is not always the most substantive. And I guess that's one of the things that's really struck me is I've had people in my community, they keep asking me, and they never have cared what my opinion is before, but now they're kind of asking me for like my opinion on Facebook because they really are hunting for information. I completely agree with you. You know, Disney's a thought leader and when they shut down early, I think that drove a lot of our local policy. But I know you're gonna ask me, you know, what was my hardest day or what is the hardest day? And it is the day that the governor and the cities shut down the restaurants and bars. And I can tell you that the, the confusion about messaging and communication, people don't know where to look, what to do, where to go, the federal versus the state versus the local who's in charge. And the overwhelming part to people that are connected in their communities, and you know that I, I, I find myself like my biggest gift is to be a partner with all these community leaders, is that these businesses are so scared and they're so overwhelmed and they don't know where to go. And my phone is blowing up nonstop trying to get clarifications, not from clients, not from um, people that I work with like you and me, but the regular folks that don't know where to go and what does it mean and how do they help and how do they get unemployment and what about this and where do they get PPE? And that part, it, it sometimes like, I feel like I've been kicked in the stomach because trying my best to get them as much information as I can, but you can feel their pain and their fear. It's palpable. It, it's it's there and you know that it's not going to be an easy road for them and you know that not all of them are going to survive and it, it's very overwhelming so I completely agree with you on how we could streamline this communication in a way that it would be easy for them to digest would be great. I think you and I are on the exact same level here because it's like in reality like you and I are not essential workers. We're like the exact opposite yeah. of essential workers. Like, you know, if, if, and yet, <laughs> no, it just like, you know, if the purge happens or the end of the world, I don't know what you and I are going to be doing because our skills are based on taking this piece of internet data, using our phone and connecting it with another person who might know that. I mean, I can't imagine me having to go out and actually have to like hammer and nail stuff 
and like the idea of like you like having to like do you know manual labor on a farm in Gilead like I just you know these things are not we're not built for that but what we're good at is this role and I will say it has been it's so palpable it's like your heart just breaks when these people are calling and they are it's the first time where they're really calling for like where it's just like average Joe asking like, hey, I just it's been six weeks and I haven't gotten an answer from the unemployment office. And it's not like that we're wonderful. It's just the sense that it is palpable and so many people are hurting out there. I do I gotta be honest, I actually feel like I feel I feel very good about my work right now. Like and I never really feel that. I mean writing you know, articles about which stupid thing Anthony Sabatini did lately is not like gonna like, you know, what I want somebody to write in my obituary. But I feel like right now, I feel like we're actually doing something that sort of maybe matters. Like you go to the bars closing and let me tell you, I've heard from a lot of bars how upset they are that you're not able to come to them anymore. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're, they don't. An essential worker, but I'm definitely an essential consumer. Yes, so, <laughs> they, <laughs> they don't know how to adjust for the inventory loss. The um, Kelly economy is definitely not thriving here in Orlando, and I can also tell you, while if the end of the world comes, I know exactly where I'm going. Our mutual friend Paul Bradshaw's house. I, I mean, I made that my plan. I've called it out. Whether he likes it or not, that's where I'm headed. That is a non-negotiable thing, and we'll go from there. But, you know, um, you're right, and you're doing a great public service. I mean, telling the truth and telling stories and telling news and providing resources is, it's incumbent upon us. And Florida Politics and you are providing things that I'm able to share with my clients and others. You know, us at the Southern Group, we're doing our insider report where we kind of pivoted over to try to give our clients as much information as we possibly can to help them make decisions. My role these days, I feel like as a lobbyist, and as a consultant is outside of my strategy and my normal advocacy is also being a therapist and a journalist. And it's really expanded all the services that I bought to my partners. Let's talk about that for uh, one second, because or let's go back. First of all, I think both you and I can say um, like the Paul Bradshaw dynamic here. Yes, that's where I would be going. And we would be plotting how to eliminate <laughs> Dean Cannon's uh, band of followers uh, in the first battle for control of Gadsden County. Um, and so what will we do to take out Kirk Pepper? Um, so that's our number one consideration. Number two, Paul was like, I, I, I told everybody, I'm like, Paul was like the first person on Wuhan. Like he was on this, like, you know, how, like they're like, oh, well, we, there was a report in January. And I'm like, I think Paul read that. And like, he was, I, I swear to you, I remember, and I've told him this story, so it's, I'm not making fun of him when I say this. There were people in Tallahassee when I was up there in February that were coming up to me and saying, hey, what's up with Paul? And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, he's like way down the road on this like chicken virus or something like that. And you're like, I don't even know what he's talking about. I'm like, dude, I'm telling you, Paul's right on this. Put your, get your money into cash, you know, stock up on batteries. And they're like, really? And people were like making fun of it. And then two weeks later, they're like, hey, how much does it cost to get a generator? Um, and so he got there, he was there early. He was, you know, generally when Paul um, opines on things or does research, um, I'm, 
I feel pretty confident that it's going to be right in the in, in a good direction. But we started talking about it in January and I started researching it and he he was right and he was ahead of it. And he did have major concerns that he was talking to our clients, to our partners, to others about. And I think there were some people that were in denial and didn't, you know, the American exceptionalism and how we sometimes um, think it will never happen here. But he was crystal clear from the get go about what was happening. We joke around and we call it we're part of the Tin Hatters Club mm -hmm. because, you know, there's those that believed in the science at the beginning and those thought it was it was um, too big of a leap. Um, all right. About the Southern Group's report, the insider report, because I will say I know it's not just me saying this. It's other it's turned other people's heads. And in fact, I've had so many people coming to me saying, how do we ramp up this? Um, you know, because they, and that's fine. I mean, every, they, their clients aren't getting the Southern report, so they need to get some sort of information. Um, how did that come to be? Are you involved in the, the creative and the design and the put together yeah. of that? Or how does, what's the mechanics on that? Well, you know, we, we're, we're always trying to expand the ways we can tell stories and communicate. I think it's one of the signatures of the Southern group. We have newsletters that are utilized with our regional offices. We're constantly doing it. But as you know, we've had a lot of great team members to our firm. And I think I would say it started with Paul Bradshaw and Aaron Rock really had the idea on how do we better communicate these types of things. And quickly it went from that to assembling a team. We have an internal team that I'm part of along with uh, Rachel Cohn and others. And we have daily calls where we decide what the stories are going to be, how we're going to approach it, what angle we're going to have. We partnered um, with our creative partner, Prismatic, who works with all of our stuff to make sure it's easy and digestible. But all the content is generated by us, created by us, authored by us, thought about by us. Um, I can tell you it makes for some pretty funny text chains throughout the day. I can know, imagine. Yes, as you can imagine. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a desire that we needed to communicate with our clients and other community leaders about how we were interpreting the information out there. And to your point, Paul is one of the many people that early digested it and shared it. And so we just wanted to get people resources as fast as we could. I think one of the things, again, that that Southern shares and I share in the like the Florida politics thing is, yeah, we've got our Tallahassee presence, but we're out in the cities as well. And that has given me a different perspective because like I've got a reporter in Manatee County, which is a, a bigger hotspot than even other places. And so like, I, I've been able to see that. And I've also been able to see the calm of like Jacksonville and Duval. Whereas if you're looking at it from the Tallahassee perspective, you're kind of like, you're consumed with what Ron DeSantis is doing. If you're the Miami Herald, you're overwhelmed with like cruise ship stories and things like that. And it's been, it's just been interesting looking at it from a state perspective. I think the same's gotta be true. I can't imagine like how much information's going through your all Zoom conference calls when you guys are talking. Yeah, I mean, that's the benefit to our business plan, right? And our business model, which you're intimately aware of is that we have regional offices that are really hubs for what's happening on the ground in their local markets. And so when you have access to that type of information and you can gather it and share it, it gives a more holistic perspective to what's happening in the state. You know, there's obviously issues happening at the, with the executive and the legislative arms, but a lot of these mayors and local markets and local businesses are having different things. And being able to share that, I think adds great value to our readers. The other thing we always try to do, you know, and I'm a firm believer of this, you got to have a 
even as dark as it may be, you got to have a little fun and you got to mm-hmm. make laugh and you have to, you have to have some levity to it because this is heavy and hard. So we work hard to um, not only educate, but entertain in the best way that we can. I love the, um, either the tweet or the meme at the top. Um, they've been spot on every time. And so, and I've also liked, I think one of the things that you have to be in this situation is um, like position agnostic, you know, like you take it very seriously as you all did, as we did, but as data changes, you can't still be chicken little. Um, This is like, I know this is divided up into partisanship, but I'm not even talking about that. Like you can adapt and say, okay, things are getting better or things are getting worse or this is good and that area is bad. I, I find like everybody in this like binary position of I'm in 1000%, this is the worst thing that's ever gonna happen or the Chinese did this to us and it doesn't matter. And I'm like, I think there's a middle ground here. I think there's a ground of, you know, hey, wait a second, not as many people died in Florida as we thought were going to die, but our economy's in shambles it still could outbreak anywhere. Second wave is a possibility. So, you know, I, and I've noticed that in your alls in the in the report that you guys are not like all gloom and doom just to sell gloom and doom. Yeah, I mean, we, we're very cognitive of that. I mean, we try to be incredibly data driven. We try to believe we believe that everyone is doing the best that they can under this situation. We understand that it's ebbing and flowing. Truthfully, this is all unprecedented. We're learning every day, every hour, candidly, almost every minute you could find a story. So we just try to take it. We try to analyze it and we try to provide an unbiased approach to educate people and inform them. Because to our early point, people are just thirsty for information and they're thirsty for a way that they can easily access access it and distill it into something that makes sense because you could also have an incredible amount of fatigue from reading and trying to find what's true. How is, um, and I want to preface it, how is Buddy Dyer doing? And the reason why I want to ask you this is I remember, I think you were there. I was at my favorite hotel in Orlando, the Bohemian, and I guess that's like his haunting grounds because it's like right across the street from City Hall. And so whenever he gets out, if he gets out, he pops over there and it was right after pulse and i just remember him being like you did see how this had weighed on a man who was forced to into a just a terrible situation um so with that in mind how is he doing right now you know he's doing great you know you and you think about someone who's been elected for 17 years and you could make an argument there's term limits that's too long i would make the argument that the continuity of leadership has really helped our region stay focused and be able to prioritize things that matter. You know, Pulse, as devastating as it was, and it it was, it was beyond comprehension. You know, no one, unless you're in the military, is really prepared for that sort of dynamic. And what he learned from it, though, is the power of how we come together. What he learned from it was the power of how we communicate. And not only him, our region, we learned that together, and I know this sounds easy, but together we're stronger and that we need each other to lift ourselves up in the darkest of times. You know, we had the Orlando Strong campaign. We were one of the first people to have those types of campaigns. Mm-hmm. Not something that I'm proud about, but it's nonetheless true. And so from that, he's learned. And he has a real commitment to our community and to our region to help us overcome these things. He's taking 
all of the COVID at the same way. Like, what can I do to help our businesses, to help our people, to help our nonprofits? So he's doing really good. I, you know, I don't think anyone is prepared for the budgets and the issues and the tourism impacts and all the things that were going. Um, so we're navigating just like every other local market. Um, we're navigating the challenges that that might bring, but the city of Orlando budget is strong. He is strong and he's just really focused about how do we help our community move forward? I think for mayors, one of the big concerns is not only budget, but the unemployment and what it's going to do to social services. And so what are we going to do and how are we going to handle that? We already have some homelessness issues. How are we going to handle the hunger and the homelessness and all the things that um, people that don't have jobs bring to the table? I know that you have a Rolodex, uh, if people still have Rolodexes. <laughs> I, I know you have, you're connected to almost everyone over there. But so let me give you a shot, a chance. Who else has really stood out? Like who else is just killing it? Um in helping on the response right now? Well, I mean, I, you have to say that the Orange County Mayor's team is doing an excellent job. I, they are communicating every day. They are effective. You know, they're a newer, Orange County's a newer team. You have a new commission and a new mayor, and they are over-communicating. It's created this task force that has um, five different working groups, and they have over 50 business leaders. So I think that's been very strong. I would have to say our larger employers, like the Orlando Magic, Orlando City Soccer, Disney, you know, they've been taking that and because they have the resources to be able to do it, um, it's been very helpful. And I'll also tell you what's been cool um, here, and I don't know about other markets, but the arts groups have really been trying to find different ways to do live performances hmm. and uplift people's spirits. Um, I will say, and I, Peter, you know her, I'll be really proud of the people that are doing masks, like the regular citizens that are doing masks, and my girl Tossie Hogan mm -hmm. and her sister have done hundreds and hundreds of masks. I think the people that are standing out is um, just regular people that are doing these incredible acts of kindness to help things happen. And I think because we've been through Pulse, we know how to mobilize that and we know how much it means to people. All right, let me ask you the uh, standard questions I ask everybody right now on this pod. When did coronavirus get real for you? I said it earlier, when the bars and restaurants shut down, I have a lot of friends that are owners of them. And that day, the, the just anxiety and fear was overwhelming. And it just became, um, to me, so crystal clear about the economic impact of this. What was your last normal day like? So my last normal day is I kind of cut it close. I went to Ireland. Um, March, oh, that's right. Yes, March 5th. And um, I was coming back March 12th. And on March 11th, I went to bed. And I woke up, um, I was in this gorgeous little town in Ireland, and I woke up and there was like 50 texting, get to England, you need to leave, huh. you need to do things. And so that day in Ireland was really good. And then that morning was very terrifying because I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to make it back to the States. Where did you fly into? Orlando. I mean, okay. Dublin to Orlando. He had not at that time. That was the beginning of the okay. travel ban. So the UK and Ireland were not included. But, you know, again, all the information was happening so fast. But that was like, I was I was very <laughs> trying to figure out how I was going to escape the country. All right. Now, this is going to be, I, I need you to focus on this one because I all can right. just imagine the recommendations you have on like so many different mediums. Because um, you're just like a... Uh, just a, a reconnoitre, a bon vivant. I don't even know what the right word is. I, you know, they never use that word reconnoitre for for women, do they? Is that is that a is that do they is that a gender bias term? I, I feel like we, maybe we need to change that. I mean, yeah, I that they do. 
I'm going to use that with you next time I talk about it. I'm like, gonna, yeah. I always put it like with Gus Corbella or whatever. I'm going to, I'm going to, unless there's some like linkage to like some old English term or something like that, you know. Um, but I'm going to drop that with you the next time I get the opportunity. All right. I like it. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to, I'm going to pick up where you left off. What are some of the things I've been doing? So, one thing which is pedestrian, but I just want to say it, is I've just been moving and moving and moving and just trying to get out and see local parks and do things because being on all these Zoom calls and all these things, <laughs> my head explode. So while I'm not the most, I would like to tell you I'm the most avid exerciser, I'm not. COVID has actually caused me to exercise more. But with that being said, some things, what I've been watching, and this is one for Michelle. I don't know if you've ever seen Better Things. Have you seen that on FX? I don't think I have. You, so you have to watch it. It is, um, it is a fantastic, you can't watch it with Ella in the room. It is not, it is, it is R rated, but it, it. <laughs> Pamela Aldean started it with a Louis CK and, it was, oh. and, um, he did two episodes and then, I mean, two seasons and he had the me too movement and then she takes it over and she writes it. She directs it. She produces it. It is like one of the funniest, best shows I've ever seen. And you know, I want to bring something up on that. That that. Uh, so, have you seen Fleabag? Yes. Am I all right? So, I realize I'm late to that, but like, I felt like, like, and this is like something we're not going to solve today. But it's like, I felt like not enough dudes were watching Fleabag, and I'm like, it is so, it, it's the funniest show since from maybe like early Louis, uh, early Louis or Seinfeld. It's, you know, as good as uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. But I just felt like I was asking all my dude friends, I'm like, are you watching Fleabag? And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, maybe it was because it was Amazon, but I just thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I think sometimes, um, I think that's a whole other conversation about women um, being like funny and vulgar. And sometimes men just don't pick it up. They don't get it. They don't enjoy it. I mean, Fleabag was BBC and then Amazon, it kind of had this cult following and then it scaled. But I don't know. It would be interesting to see how men respond to female comedians. You're both funny and vulgar. And that's why I like <laughs> talking to you. I mean, I think about, right? I mean, I mean, you're also a lady's lady and you love to be in glitter as much as any other, you know, woman I know. But you also, you know, you enjoy a good, you know, uh, you know a good story, uh, a good R-rated story. Is, yeah. Okay. So that's what makes you a I think it's super important just to really have some fun and it, we don't have to be PC all the time and we should be able to speak our mind. I mean, obviously anything that is racist or hateful or anything of that nature isn't cool, but we all should be able to have a laugh. You know, one of the things that I'm noticing with this podcast too, and it's like, I enjoy talking and I guess the dudes that have been on, I, I enjoy talking more with the women on the podcast. Like I just feel more like, maybe it's because, um, I don't know, maybe they're used to doing uh, schooling or they're more involved in the education thing. So I'm able to talk with them. They seem like that they're more adjusted to the, the, the process of being in here where the men are kind of like, oh, I'm bouncing off the walls. And so I've just, I've noticed like, I wish I talked, I wish I had as many uh, female guests on as men, but I, I keep, I just enjoy those conversations more. I don't know what I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's a situation. But um, and again, we're probably not going to solve that here. 
you've always been a big feminist, my friend. So you've always been a supporter of women and strong women. And I think women also probably feel very safe and comfortable coming on the show and chatting it up with you. So it's a... Oh, that's hey, nice. Good to you. That's nice. Thank you very much for that. All right, give me one more recommendation. One more recommendation. I was trying... Oh, I, I think it's kind of basic, but there's so many great craft cocktails to go. You can kind of bar hop and stop by and go like go to your favorite places. It's so great. It's a way to tip the bartenders, get some drinks, and hang out on your patios or outdoors. It's a it's a really fun way, and they're so appreciative. And like so, I just had Carol Dover on uh, before you, and I said um, like Saturday night we basically did that in downtown St. Petersburg, and I just wanted to tell everybody, I'm like, you don't even have to drink them. Just go order them, tip the bartender that's there that night. That's your way, because it's like, how do you tip the, I mean, think about how often you saw your favorite bartender. Well, there's no favorite bartender charity set up and the way waiters and waitresses, they're kind of hanging loose right now. I'm like, this is the way to take care of them. Just do your cocktail to go happy hour. Like you said, tip generously and you're gonna be, imagine how awesome it's gonna be in a month or so when you're back at your favorite spot and oh, and you can put them in mason jars you can put them away you can you yeah to friends it's just a really and it's, it's fun it's like you drive around you can look at the menus you can pick up the cocktails it's a great way to give back and have a little fun all right well thank you for hunkering down with me today thank you. I've, I've heard your zoom button go off like 12 times um you're like on like the task force too right for orlando or you're involved no, i'm just i'm just helping advise a little bit okay well, best to you. Thanks for coming on, Kelly. Thank you. I appreciate you. Bye. Bye.